Look, I believe in one simple truth. You don't have to be superhuman to be a superhero. There are heroes all around us. Heroes of culture, business, philanthropy, and technology. And on this show, I'm going to talk to them all. My name is Joe Anthony, and this is Hero Talk. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Hero Talk, all right, where we speak to ordinary people doing extraordinary things, heroes of culture, heroes of business, philanthropy, society, that all have one thing in common. They want to make the world a better place. Today, I'm super excited. This is our first episode, man. And I'm here with my buddy, Afdel Aziz, uh, one half of the dynamic co-author duo of the hot book, that's out right now. Good is the new cool. What's up, man? How are you? Thank you for having me, Joe. Excited to be your first guest. Oh, man, I'm excited yeah. to have you. And, and, and I don't know if my assistant gave you the memo on the wardrobe, but it seems like we both shot, shopped at the Steve Jobs gift shop this morning. <laughs> this, is, this is a total <laughs> fluke, but I'm, I'm glad to pop against your, your white set here. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, I know the black t-shirt is starting to become synonymous with that kind of innovative tech look, you know? It's synonymous <laughs> with me not having to make a decision about what to wear every day. Oh, good. Then we're thinking on the same wavelength. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, look, man, I want to kind of get into this because I'm excited. This is our first episode, like I said. Um, you got this amazing new book out, and I want to get into that in a minute. Um, but for the viewers, man, mm -hmm. I, I'd really love for you to kind of give a primer on who Afdel Aziz is. Do they call you Double A? Can I call you Double A? Let's work it. F. F is a good shorthand. Ah, okay, F. Um, <laughs> give us a little bit about your origin sure. story, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, the experiences, the influences that impacted your sensibility mm. to even get to a point mm. um, where you can author a book like mm. this uh, in the position that you took, which is so provocative. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I was born in Sri Lanka, uh, grew up there. I went to uh, study in London, studied English literature, mm. uh, tried to be a writer mm. and uh, realized how much money writers make which is nothing, and then kind of pivoted and moved into marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, first job out of college was with Procter & Gamble, which was an amazing place to learn marketing. I call it like the marketing boot camp. Mm -hmm. um, so spent three years there working on Vidal Sassoon and Max Factor, um, then moved to um, work in music and in publishing, working for Mixmag, which is an amazing electronic music magazine, and Kiss 100, which is... Uh, amazing kind of radio station in London. Uh, there's a lot of hip hop and you know electronic music and things like that. Um, then pivoted to working for Nokia uh, mm -hmm. at the time when there was a company called <laughs> Nokia, <laughs> and used that expertise in music and culture to help Nokia launch their new music phones at that time. Um, did some really fun stuff there. Um, this is all in London. Then I moved in 2008 to New York City. Uh, started working for Heineken, which is where I think our paths initially yep. crossed. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and and then have been working for Absolute Vodka until um, January of this year. So almost two decades on the client side, brand management uh, side of things. And uh, the last three years I was at Absolute, I kind of felt like there was something missing. Mm. And I'd gotten to the point in my career where I was able to do cool shit. Like I was... You know, you know the life. It's yeah. like hanging out backstage, doing <laughs> photo shoots, and yeah. but there was something missing. Yeah. There was like a, a layer of meaning missing, and that's what really prompted um, me and my writing partner and our friend Bobby Jones yeah. to go off there and um, start thinking about how to do more meaningful marketing. Now, now it, it's it's interesting that you say that because I'm working 
on such a, a zeitgeist brand like Absolute, a cultural forward brand like Absolute, a brand manager can easily get, you know, pun intended, drunk off of their job yeah. and the and the access that it provides. You know, you're backstage with all these amazing celebrities, you yeah. know, working with Swedish House Mafia, on going on tour, doing all these amazing events. Um, I mean, what was that moment where you had this epiphany Was mm -hmm. where it was like, no, this is not enough? Yeah. Well, it actually predates Absolute, you know, okay. and I tell the story in the book. Um, I was back in Sri Lanka for my brother's wedding in 2004, which is, you know, your brother's getting married, it's a joyous occasion. And I was there when the Asian tsunami hit the country oh, wow. uh, in, in uh, 2004. And I was luckily, miraculously unharmed and unscathed, but I was in a country where 30,000 of my fellow countrymen had just died in one day. Mm. And uh, I was involved in... Uh, like a, everybody else in the country and helping kind of pick up the pieces and you know do do whatever we could and that was the moment where you know I, I left and came back to London and I quit my job and I went traveling for six months because I had this realization that what I did as a job in marketing um, couldn't help those people and couldn't mm -hmm. help the country in general and so it really made me rethink what I was doing and, and made me realize that I didn't want my legacy to be that I just made people buy more stuff. Mm. And that was really where the seed was planted of saying, well, what if you could do marketing in a way that was actually socially impactful? Yeah. That was still good, but also cool. And that was where we started kind of trying to join the dots as far back as then. Um, it took until, um, you know, uh, three or four years ago when um, Bobby and I were talking and we both realized we were both in the same space and that's when we decided to collaborate and start that journey that led to this book as well. Uh, I think this is a great transition uh, to the book. I mean obviously I, I looked at the book and uh, I read through it and you know I found it extremely interesting and you know it's, it's very it could be the manifesto for my business and I'm actually kind of a little jealous <laughs> but you know it's it's, yeah. it's incredible because there's not a lot of books out here that kind of squarely focus and hone in on uh, on purpose as a proposition mm -hmm. from a marketing standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think from an industry standpoint, um, the industry is just really starting to catch on to this idea of purpose as a platform uh, to build brand equity and to build real ROI because it can feel sometimes like this esoteric thing, mm -hmm. right? Social impact, feel good. How does that really impact my bottom line? How does that create propensity? How does that really create an interest or um, a desire uh, for brand demand, right? And, um, you know, part of what I found interesting in your book is that you kind of called out that there were three factors that were really kind of um, influencing this transition and one of it being kind of this changing sensibilities mm -hmm. with Millennials and Generation Z. Can you touch a little bit upon sure. what these changing sensibilities are that are creating kind of this new normal? Sure, yeah. So it's important maybe first to define what purpose is because like okay. you said there's a lot of misconceptions, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in there's a lot of, uh, it's like this very cosmic spiritual thing and it's, <laughs> and it's not, it's really simply from a, from a brand perspective it is um, what is the high order reason for this brand or this company to exist more than making money? Mm -hmm. um, a great example I always use is Tesla. Tesla's purpose is articulated as we want to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Now that's a powerful big idea mm -hmm. and now you start to see how Tesla as a company, whether it's through the cars or the power walls or the solar roofs, mm -hmm. those are all, yeah, all of those things are part of that same uh, purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So having a, 
a purpose that's bigger than let's make X million dollars this quarter mm -hmm. is what makes people want to come and work for you. Got it. Right? Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is, especially amongst millennials and Gen Z, they want to work for companies that have a greater meaning in life. They don't want their legacy to be to be they just help people buy more stuff or, you know, one of those things. So from a generational perspective, why purpose is so important for companies is, number one, if you want to attract talent, mm -hmm. you better have a very clear purpose and, and show how that purpose translates into societal impact. But number two, if you want people to buy your product, the hottest companies in the world today are the ones who've figured out how to have a higher social purpose and then create a super cool product offering around it as well. The Teslas, the Toms, the Warmy Parkers, all of these. So it's important if you want to future-proof your business, both in terms of talent and consumers, it's really important to have purpose baked into everything that you do. Now, now you, you mentioned a lot of companies uh, as examples that are doing this, this really well right now, but they're relatively new companies that had the benefit of kind of building their cultural narrative from the ground up, yep. right? Uh, and that's why they're the hot companies that everybody wants to yep. work for, right? Because yep. they're almost extensions of dorm room culture. There's a level of freedom there. Yep. There's a level of uh, camaraderie uh, that they've kind of baked in from mm -hmm. the onset. Uh, how does a legacy company that is driven by a quarterly economics mm -hmm. way of working kind of shift on a dime to now kind of develop a culture that one, young people want to work for and is steeped in a purpose that's believable? Yeah. So this is a, a, a excellent question. And then, you know, so off the back of the book, I've launched a consultancy, Conspiracy of mm -hmm. Love. Congrats. Which is, thank you. It's, it's, I mean, it's very much in line with Hero. Yeah. It is all about helping companies. It's all about building purpose-driven brands for yeah. the 21st century. Yeah. And a lot of the work is actually going back and helping those legacy brands, right? F rediscover their purpose. All products were created for a reason. How, even if it's a 100-year-old brand, there was a point where somebody said, I'm going to solve this problem by creating this brand. So a lot of the time it's about going back and doing almost like an archaeological dig to go, okay, why did this company or this product start? And buried in somewhere in there is the seed of an idea. Mm. That's what you then need to take and then realign it with today's generation, today's consumers, today's context, and re-articulate that purpose and say, okay, this you may have started 100 years ago with this idea in mind, but here's how that manifests itself in the 21st century now as well. And some of the most interesting examples we've seen are actually giant multinationals like Unilever. Um, who are deliberately baking purpose into the brands that they sell. Mm -hmm. um, so here's a stat. Last year, over 50% of the growth of Unilever came from purpose-driven brands. Mm. So these are brands like Dove, Hellman's, Knorr, Lipton's, who are putting purpose-driven uh, marketing at their core and standing some for something bigger than just the product itself. Yeah. So what's amazing is that I'm now working with five or six different brands who are in five or six different multinational companies. And I'll tell you that every single uh, category, every single company is now starting to think about it. Mm -hmm. Where we are on this journey, um, I'll tell you an interesting analogy that my friend Max Lenderman, uh, who runs this amazing um, consultancy in Boulder, uh, Colorado called School does. School's amazing by the way. Their purpose is to build schools. So they're not just a consultancy, the money that they get from clients goes back into building schools. And he has this analogy, he says, purpose is going to be as transformative to business as digital was. Mm. So think about 10 years ago when digital meant, do you have a website, uh, right? <laughs> and then five years ago, digital was, do you have a Facebook page, right? And today, it's impossible to think about, every company is a digital company, yeah. right? It touches every single aspect. Where we are right now is, um, 
do you have a sustainability strategy? That's kind of like the website. Mm -hmm. Or do you have a CSR department? That's kind of like the Facebook page. But purpose is on its way to touching every single aspect of business, um, just like digital does. And think about how profound and transformative digital was. That same impact, I think, is going to happen with purpose-driven companies. That's, that's fascinating. Now, now how, how much of this really is socioeconomic, right? I mean, we, we're living in probably the most polarizing time in recent history, yeah. right? Yeah. You're either red or blue or, you know, um, you know, you're either for this, you know, ethnicity or this culture or this, you know, uh, and obviously we've, since 9-11, you know, millennials have been impacted by some of the most um, dramatic life-shaping events uh, that we can remember, recessions, we've been at war for a decade um, or on the brink of it. Um, we obviously have the most polarizing president in office that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. How much of this kind of need to be purposeful is driven by the social conditions of our time and do the pervasive social conditions of our time, could that impact or erode um, this idea of being purposeful as things get better? Well, I think that um, a good analogy is sustainability, mm -hmm. right? So again, 30 years ago, most companies didn't have a sustainability strategy, but now it's impossible to be a company without mm -hmm. sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. At least Fortune 500 companies, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think we're on that same path with purpose as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a great quote that we, we use in the book. For these generations, um, every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to see. Mm -hmm. So they understand the power of their wallets to say, I want to buy this product, not just because it's a good product, but because this company has values that, they, that I believe in, to stand up for it. And what you're seeing is that those companies who are able to um, let their values speak out mm -hmm. are the ones who get um, the benefit of the, these consumers coming on board. You see, you've seen it in the last 90 days with delete Uber versus mm -hmm. Lyft. Yeah. You've seen it when companies like Google and Facebook and Microsoft, uh, 94 technology companies filing amicus briefs against the immigration ban. That is what you know, we talk in the book about backing up the promise with the proof. Mm -hmm. That is them saying, we don't agree with this and we are prepared to go to court against the government to stand up for those values. That's not going to be forgotten. Mm. If you look at America and how it's becoming a majority-minority country, we are about to see an America that is more liberal, more progressive, more multicultural, more multi-ethnic than ever before. So these companies understand that shift and, and, and they're really letting their values speak for themselves by taking action, you know, and doing these things. Starbucks committing to hire 10,000 immigrant refugees, you know, um, you know, Airbnb offering shelter to those affected by the travel ban. These companies are going above and beyond advertising. They're actually putting money and in some cases legal resources to stand up for something. And I don't think that's going to be forgotten in the mm -hmm. long term, you know, um, as, as these consumers think about what these companies have done on their behalf. That's, that, that's, that's incredible. And, um, you know, when I think about millennials and why they're developing kind of this kind of stringent filter um, or, uh, or, or kind of adoption filter, if you will, um, it, you know, my theory is it, it really stems from kind of a post-recession sensibility where um, this idea of net worth has been replaced with this concept of self-worth, yeah. right? right? Mm -hmm. It's harder for me to achieve 
um, capitalistic gains because we've now grown up in an economy where, you know, I'm riddled with college debt, um, you know, I can't buy a home because now in the post, uh, you know, recession, uh, getting access to credit is extremely mm -hmm. difficult. Uh, so now I have to invest in the things that make me feel really great right now mm -hmm. because the, prob the, the probability of me being able to park money away and it being able to uh, accrue in value over time is just a hard reality that yeah. I have to accept that yeah. it may not be possible in, in the immediate future, yeah. right? So when we start thinking about the genesis of where these values come from mm -hmm. that now place higher emphasis on the brands that they adopt in their lifestyle mm -hmm. to exhibit, yeah. you know, um, is there some truth to that? I mean, is, is it, um, you know, born from this kind of uh, post-recession mm -hmm. kind of way of thinking? I mean, where, where, what's the genesis yeah. of, of of these values. It, it absolutely mm -hmm. is uh, one huge driver of it, mm -hmm. right? They saw their parents work for 50 years in a job they may hate yeah. mm -mm. to buy a house that yeah. got wiped out yeah. to put money in a 401k that disappeared. So they're like, why the hell should I do that? Right? So there's a, there's a growing realization of, of uh, needing to find another path, right? Now, in this path, they also understand the value exchange with brands because they are brands themselves. Mm -hmm. They've grown up with Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and they understand how to position themselves yeah. as a brand. Self-actualization. There's self-actualization, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they uh, are growing up so vers you know, savvy about advertising and marketing. I've been in focus groups in Minneapolis where a 23-year-old guy who's a plumber will say to me, well, I'm not your demographic. And I go, how do you know what a demographic is? And how do you know that you're not my demographic? Mm -hmm. They are culturally and you know, intellectually astute about how brands see them. And so they play back. They're like, okay, I understand that my attention is what you seek. So you better provide something that's valuable in exchange for my attention. And that's where we say, listen, advertising isn't enough. Yeah. You know, they see right through it. They understand the manipulation. And they, if you show them a beautifully photographed product, they're like, well, look, here, I can do it on my phone and Instagram, right? They, they see through the smoke and mirrors that marketing has used for so long. So we think the only way to really be in their lives, we say in the book, brand should solve problems from the everyday to the epic, mm -hmm. right? So if you can solve a problem for somebody by saying, I'll give you an example right here in New York City, right? Um, Citibank saying, we're going to spend $32 million over six years to underwrite the city bike program. Um, that gives New Yorkers a public transportation system that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. That's a value exchange where people understand the role the brand is playing and the return on investment that City got. Number one, it's the single greatest out-of-home investment in the history of New York mm -hmm. City. They're on every single street corner, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. everywhere. People mm -hmm. are riding the bikes and tweeting and Instagramming them. Mm -hmm. City saw 18% jumps in City is a brand for me. City is a brand I recommend in consideration and advocacy, right? It became a verb. Mm -hmm. How did you get here? Like a City, city bike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's a great example of a brand saying, here's how I'm going to integrate myself into the lives of people in a way that's valuable to them and valuable to me. Now, were they thinking about that strategically when they did it, or was that something that they realized after they made that investment? They realized that what they needed to do was something that was actually um, um, be, needed to go beyond advertising. Mm. If you go back to City's reputation, in 2008, they mm. took the biggest bailout in the financial crisis, 
Remember what people used to call them? Mm -hmm. Shitty bag, right? <laughs> so they realized that you can't advertise your way out of that. Right? And I took like three CEOs in like five years. It was like yeah, it was just that, right? To their credit, what's really interesting, and we, we, we interviewed Alyssa Gray, who was the CMO of Citibank at the time in the book, and she said, it was a small group of New Yorkers who were like, I want to do something for my city. Mm. I want to think about, you know, in the book we talk about, think citizens, not consumers. Mm -hmm. I want to think about my fellow New Yorkers as citizens, not just consumers of Citibank's product. And it was a small group of them that really cracked the code about how to do this thing. And she said the greatest thing that she remembers from that time is after it launched, she literally had people walking up to her in the halls and saying, I want to work on this project. Mm. I want to work on it because it makes me proud to be part of City. And that goes back to what we were saying. Yeah. You want to do things that have meaning to attract talent and keep people on board. Well, let's, let's talk about where marketing plays in all of this, right? Yeah. Because I think some of the things that you referenced are um, you know, business principles, like how we're going to operate. You know, what's going to be the, you know, um, foundational relationship that we have with our consumer? What are we going to say about our business, mm -hmm. right? Um, in your book, you say marketing needs to optimize life, yeah. right? Um, expound on that. I mean, you know, because, again, going back to this idea of taking some of this purpose-driven terminology, putting it into practice, making yeah. it more tangible, less esoteric, um, and making it also... Um, a strategy mm -hmm. that brands feel still can achieve real ROI. Yeah. Um, how does this idea of marketing optimizing mm -hmm. life yeah. really? How can that really play yeah. out for brands? It, you know, by now at least, you know, from what we've seen, the idea is business for as a force for good is becoming pretty well established. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that we wanted to really unpack the next level down, which is okay. How does marketing as mm -hmm. a force for good work? Right. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is something we couldn't have even predicted when we started writing the book, right, was the massive disruption that technology is causing to the traditional advertising model. Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing now is a massive rise in people cutting the cord, mm -hmm. right, and having um, Apple TVs with mm -hmm. Netflix, Hulu, HBO. Um, here's a statistic. 82% of kids growing up in Netflix-only homes don't even understand what a TV ad is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. befuddling, right? Yeah. Um, if you look at ad-blocking software, 275 million people globally have installed ad blocking software, which means they don't see ads on their phone, laptop, or desktop. So if marketing is an industry that is focused on advertising and making things that people no longer see, what the hell are we doing, right? Why, why are we all focused on this? Now, we say, we say somewhat provocatively, don't advertise, solve problems. Yeah. There, some advertising is good, right? But it's like being a carpenter and having a hammer and a bunch of other tools and only using the hammer. Mm -hmm. And you're like, there's a bunch of other stuff you could use as well that are much more creatively interesting, right? So marketing has ended up in this place where all we're trying to do is um, force more and more content down this rapidly shrinking pipe, mm -hmm. which is consumer's attention, right? Mm -hmm. That pipe is shrinking because there's more things that are demanding of their time. There are more messages in it and there's more and more kind of uh, platforms to work on. So what we're saying is like, look at all the space outside of that pipe that you can go and spend time and money on creating things, right? Um, and if, you, if you're working in the advertising industry and you're an ECD or art director or planner, think how much more fulfilling it is to go and work on something like creating the next city bike. Yeah. Then how do I make a, a 10 second pre-roll or a six second pre-roll or a four second pre-roll? So our message to marketers is really, A, it's going to be more fun. 
because the projects you can come up with aren't bounded by this traditional narrow notion of what marketing should be. But B, it'll help you find more meaning in what you do if you're able to create things that have actual value and impact on people's lives as well. Um, how do you get an industry that is historically driven by fear, right? And I, I recently had a conversation with a president of a major athletic apparel company, who I won't name, but who said one of the biggest challenges in evolving their culture or their marketing strategy is internal apathy. Yeah. I, how do you, because everything you said was just, it's, it's spot on and it makes so much sense on its face, but we're still not seeing it yeah. kind of uh, carry through yeah. at the repetition that it should based upon the stats that you've outlined. There is a systemic inertia that is uh, at play here. And it's the same systemic inertia that the record business had right before Napster hit it. Yeah. So I think they're not going to have a choice. Yeah. I think that right now they're, um, you're able to use just the momentum of how this business has existed for decades to shield some of these issues and pretend like nothing's going wrong. But honestly, when I speak to people inside agencies, it's not apathy, it is that fear. It's like this business isn't going to exist as it has for much longer. But no one is thinking about the alternative um, that could that could take place in terms of how we evolve this mm -hmm. as a business. So what you're seeing is the best talent leaving agencies and going and setting up their own startups and going and working in the technology field or coming up with their own businesses mm -hmm. because they just don't want to be around that apathy anymore. They, they feel like there's a better use of their time, you know, um, and more meaningful work that they could do. You know, one of the uh, major quotes that we asked every interviewee in this book, there's 21 interviewees, and we started every uh, um, interview with this Mark Twain quote, which is, the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the day you found out why. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody's found out that why. Yeah. But in that journey to figuring it out is where greatness exists and where you get out of that apathy and where you can find something um, that will inspire you and fuel you. And what we're seeing is greater and greater numbers of people who are choosing to check out of the traditional model and that system and go, I'm going to go find out that day, um, that day about why. Um, and that is where I think the salvation of the advertising industry really lies. Uh, you know, I, I hope so. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm betting on it because I'm a member of that industry and my livelihood depends upon it. And I like to think about uh, think of ourselves as one of the, uh, the advocates of change. Um, but, you know, obviously it's, it's like turning a whale in a bathtub, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's going to take time and it's, it's going to take, um, s sometimes finding that why mm -hmm. is a result of falling on your face, yeah. right? And if you, if you ask a lot of people when that kind of moment was, when they understood their true purpose, mm -hmm. it was probably right after they had some hardship. Yes. Right? Yeah. Or experienced some adversity. Do you find that as a kind of a, a consistent truth? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. It, yeah. You, you kind of need something. Uh, that shakes you out of your uh, complacency, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and what's wonderful now, though, is that there are increasingly processes and systems and tools that you can use to get to that day without having to go through trauma or something difficult mm -hmm. as well. And I think more and more people are flocking to that to try and figure it out because something magical happens when you find out your purpose. It's like a light bulb going off in your head. Mm -hmm. It's like a whole other part of your brain lights up um, and I think people are looking around them and seeing people who, are, who found it and they're going, how can I have that? And because today 
um, technology allows you to go off and explore and find that why it's becoming easier than ever before. So mm -hmm. I, I, my hope is that um, people get to it without having to go through some mm -hmm. sort of, you know. Is there some advice you could offer someone in, who's trying to desperately kind of uh, identify their truth or, yeah. or, or their purpose? I mean, is there a process that they can go through? Yes, I mean, I mean, our mutual friend, True Pettigrew, yeah. is the, the person who helped us with me figuring out my why. And he's got a very amazing process and course. He's the why whisperer. He's the why whisperer, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, the shorthand version of what he does, it's obviously very complex, but the really simple triangulation is the GPS idea, yeah. right? Mm. What are your gifts? Mm. Things you're naturally really good at. What are your passions, mm -hmm. things you are obsessed with and that you love doing, mm -hmm. and who can they be in, of service to? Mm -hmm. That's the G, the P, and the S, right? He's the best at acronyms, isn't He's he? He's the best at acronyms, exactly. <laughs> but if you can triangulate that and go, yeah. oh, listen, I'm really good at, I don't know, design. Yeah. Um, my passion is music. And then therefore, the people who I can be of service to is musicians who want to help, help, help with design or something like that. I'm giving a very simple example, but that's the best way to triangulate how to get to where you, you get mm -hmm. to. The key is always thinking about how you can be of service. Mm -hmm. That's the crucial mm -hmm. bit. It's not about being self-indulgent. It's saying, how can I be of service to something bigger than myself or someone or a group of people? Um, and in that service, uh, that's where you find that meaning and that purpose as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one last question, man. Um, What's next for you, man? I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're in the thick of promoting this amazing book, um, speaking everywhere. Um, you just moderated a panel with Russell Simmons, you were telling me. Um, you know, you, you just launched this amazing new consultancy. So you got a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, wh um, what's, what's the ultimate goal? Well, the next book, uh, I really want to write about personal purpose. This book mm -hmm. is about purpose and brands, but mm -hmm. I, f I feel to our conversation, mm -hmm. Personal purpose is even more interesting and has more of a universal impact. So I want to go explore that space. Um, but we also want to do stuff like turn this book into a TV show. Okay. Like we mm -hmm. feel like there is so many compelling stories of people in you know these brands we talk about that will inspire other young entrepreneurs. We call them world changers. You okay. know. So uh, I think we'd love to go out there and kind of. Uh, keep doing the storytelling to inspire change, but now do it in different mediums as well. So hopefully that'll, that'll come to fruition this year. That's awesome. Well, look, this is the end of our first uh, Hero Talk episode with my man Afdel Aziz. We had an amazing time. Thank, Thank you bro. so much, yeah, man, for coming course, and blessing yeah. us. And uh, we look forward to following your journey and wish you much success, man. Thank you, man.